You're listening to the We Are Libertarians podcast network. Find all of our shows at wearelibertarians.com. Hey, everybody, check out the Break the Bell podcast, where we believe your voice is your most powerful weapon. For a weekly dose of our take on what's going on in the world mixed with a side of history, find us wherever podcasts are found or on social media handle at Break the Bell Pod. And most importantly, never stop talking. Prepare yourself. You're on the run with Remzo W. Martinez. You know, it's funny. People tend to say that the world has gone to hell in a handbasket. And the people I see saying this are always the people whose lives are generally not affected that much. It's always my center left uh, middle class friends who don't like something somebody did like the pillow guy or Mitch McConnell. And suddenly the whole world is on fire. And uh, it's it's really funny. The one thing I love about traveling is that you actually get to see what real hell looks like for people. And, uh, you know, it's 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 so funny. I will never, never stop laughing at the spoiled American middle class that just thinks that because one bad thing happens on TV, the whole world is going insane. So they have to go preach about it on Facebook to enlighten the rest of us. Um Many of you know we we don't really talk about politics, and we're not going to talk about politics on this program. But, uh, you know, often I'll get questions. It's like, Grim, so you jump into some pretty eclectic topics. And uh, that's a pretty accurate description of this show and everything else we've done. By the time you're listening to this, season two of my uh, public access TV show, The Witching Hour, has just wrapped up. You can go ahead and find a link to that in the show notes. Um you know, it was it was always kind of an interesting thing for me because when I was a freelance journalist, I was you know doing um, rallies and hearings and other stuff during the day, and I was getting locked in you know supposedly haunted places at night. And when it comes to the real questions of the world, um, when it comes to life after death, when it comes to the strange phenomenons that happen in the world around us. I don't know about you, man, but I would much rather talk about any of that stuff and go into a complete tangent than talk about anything on TV. And uh, if you're as impeachment tired as I am, hopefully we've got a topic for you today. It's the topic of demonic entities and possession in our world around us. So whether you're religious, whether you're agnostic, whether you've never even thought of this topic before... Uh, hopefully it'll go ahead and expand your worldview just a tad bit, but I won't be talking about this myself. We've gone ahead and brought in Billy Hollowell. He is the author of Playing with Fire, The Armageddon Code, Fault Line, and Left Standing. Each book offers a unique look at faith and culture. Um, other than that, uh, Billy is a journalist, commentator, and digital TV host that has covered thousands of the biggest faith and cultural stories that you could probably think of. He's written more than 13,000, let me say that again, 13,000 articles on faith, culture, and politics, and has interviewed hundreds of celebrities, authors, and influencers, and more. Billy, thank you so much for joining the program today. It's a it's an absolute pleasure to have you on. Hey, thanks for having me. So when it comes to the things that most people want to talk about on Twitter, uh, I'll be honest, man, <laughs> this is not one of those things that often pops up, especially for somebody as established and reputable as yourself. And to a degree, <laughs> I can kind of resonate with that because whenever I used to do stuff about anything relevant to the day, because news lives and dies by seconds, uh, when it came to the real topics, and I consider all of what we're going to talk about the real topics, people would kind of look at me and they're just kind of like, man, what made you want to bring this up? <laughs> and when it comes to the issues of the paranormal, and I, I always jumped in the realm of ghosts, when it came to demons, it was always one of those things where it's like, I gotta, I gotta, you know, I'm playing to no, no pun intended. I'm kind of playing with fire, so I want to step back a little bit of it. Uh, when it comes to that, when it comes to possession, this is not something that you're going to see on TV much, unless it's like Travel Channel Discovery, and it's not something that you're really going to see in in the uh, in the regular conversations people are having online. So, what what made you want to jump into this specifically? Because this is a for some people it might be a sensitive topic. 
Yeah. So it's so crazy because you and I probably have some real overlap in terms of what we've done professionally and then sort of areas of interest. And this was something for me that kept coming up, this topic of possession and demons. You know, while I was working at The Blaze, while I was at Faithwire, I'd be covering news and culture and, you know, politics and all these issues that were going on. And yet these stories would emerge. And it was really 2014 when there were a couple of stories that came out that were really interesting to me. One was surrounding The Conjuring. You remember that that movie franchise, yep. which is still it's still out there. Um, I think they're making some new ones. But the first movie was allegedly based on a true story. And so, you know, the, the film, the producers, the directors, they were reaching out to try to tell that supposedly true story. And so when I was at The Blaze, I covered that. Then there was this other story. And this one was remarkable because it was out of Gary, Indiana. And we could talk more about the specific details. But what was so unique about it was that that there was documented evidence and claims from more than just the family that was affected by it. And it was basically a woman, her mother, and, and her three kids. So it was a mom, a grandma, and three kids who were in this home that they believed was possessed. They were experiencing possession. And, and so there's a very long story there, but, but it was unique because the Indianapolis Star actually covered it. It was in a newspaper with documented sources. And so I started to cover those cases and... You know, I'm I'm a lifelong Christian, so I'm a journalist, I'm a commentator, but I, but I'm a Christian, and so my my lens is the Bible, my personal lens, how I see the world, and so these things were not foreign to me. But if I'm going to be honest, they were things that you kind of encounter in the Bible. You see Jesus healing somebody, you know, performing an exorcism, basically, and you just kind of keep moving, right? It's part of the stories that we read that as Christians, we believe are real. But I think because it's strange and it's weird, we kind of move on from it and we don't always process it and and talk about it. And so that started to wear on me a little bit, the fact that so many people don't talk about these things. And actually, to your point, we don't, we don't see this topic a lot, right, out in mainstream, but yet people love these fictional stories in film. Like they'll flock to movies to watch possession stories. There's this real human interest there. And so when I saw Hollywood sort of making these fictional movies and sort of talking about the topic more than some churches were, I was like, man, this is something to to really dive into and to try to comprehend. Yeah. And I mean, you bring up something important, which is the relationship between what, what I consider the modern Christian and elements of the supernatural and paranormal. I went to a, I went to Liberty University, the the largest evangelical school in the world, and even amongst my very committed Christian friends, when it comes to the question of you know possession, of resurrection, of stuff like that, we we almost accept it at face value, but it's almost like those are one time events. Those are one time things. After you know, after you close your Bible, after you get to the end of Revelations, everything else, it's like the world gets stagnant to a certain point. And uh, I've had this conversation before with uh, Douglas Ernst, a good friend of mine. He's a culture reporter at the Washington Times. Uh, we we work there together, and uh, you know he he has a comic book series called. Um, I, he's, he's going to murder me for forgetting it. Uh, um, soul finder, soul finder. It's, it's an amazing series, but Doug is a very committed Roman Catholic and he's actually one of the few Catholics I know in the beltway area that when it comes to, you know, recognizing the existence of demons, uh, understanding the, the very real potential of stuff like possession, he's one of the only ones I know that actually genuinely believes in that stuff. For everyone else, it's like, well, you know, it's, it's mental illness. It's got to be, it's right. be anything else other than what it is. What, why do you think that disconnect happens? Because we can believe that Noah built an ark and all this other crazy stuff happened, but it seems like, you know, outside of the stories itself, we, we're not very open into seeing that as something that can exist in our lifetime. Absolutely. Well, I think what we have going on right now, and I think most of us know this, this material obsession, right? We're obsessed with the here and now as a culture, and that's outside of the church, but it's also come into churches, right? This idea that that everything is about the way we feel, right? Our feelings are what matters. The here and now is what matters. And so, you know, we, we even as Christians will say, okay, well, we believe these things, but we kind of believe them in our head because our hearts are so consumed with what we feel, what we want, what is happening around us. And I think we have this really bizarre sort of disconnection from a lot of the things that scripture is actually telling us. In fact, 
one thing about this topic, as I was researching, and I had never looked at the Bible in a way where I would sort of go through and say, okay, I want to look only at the parts that talk about Satan and evil and that show, you know, demonic presence, right? I want to go through only those parts. And having done that and looked at it all, it was interesting to walk away and to say, gosh, I don't think there's another topic that is talked about so much in the Bible and talked about so little in some Christian circles. And that to me is bizarre because it's not as though we, I think people should be obsessed with this topic, but you know, you look at, you look at the Bible, you look at all the examples and then you look at Ephesians six. And I have to be honest with you. I read Ephesians six a million times as a Christian. And when it talks about this battle over good and evil that exists right now, if you don't believe this, if people are listening and they're atheists or they're agnostics, or they're not sure that's fine. That's not their, that's not their foundation. That's not their worldview. But if you're a Christian and you're, you're looking at Ephesians 6, the foundation in the worldview is telling you that we are living in the midst of this battle. And what does it tell us there? It tells us you got to take up the shield of faith. You got to protect yourself. How do you do that? You live as a Christian, right? And I'm simplifying it here, but but I would encourage people, even if you don't believe, go and read Ephesians 6 because it's interesting. I mean, it's telling us that this is going on around us and that we can fall prey to it, but there's protection, right? So so that's a baseline. And I think a lot of us have looked past that because we're just so consumed with what is happening around us. And the irony is a lot of us, like you were talking about in your, in your intro, we're lamenting the things that are happening around us. We're so upset about them. And yet, maybe we're not even thinking through it. I want to be careful how I say this because I'm not one to assign things to, you know, the devil or evil, but maybe we're actually not realizing the source of some of the things that are going on because we're not actually understanding the foundation from which we claim to believe. Yeah. And I mean, this is, this is a topic that I've had a, a pretty large evolution on myself. Um, when I first started getting into investigating homes, investigating certain locations, it came from the, how do I put this? It came from the bias that this stuff isn't real and there's always a logical explanation for it. Uh, the first place I ever filmed an investigation uh, was with my brother. It was a St. Albans Santorium in Radford, Virginia. Uh, it was built on an Indian burial ground. It had been a boys' school. It had been a uh, insane asylum. You know, creepy, scary place. And I went there thinking, you know, it's it's just gonna. There, there's got to be an explanation for it. And, uh, you know, long story short, I'll, I'll link to that film in the show notes today. Uh, I had many experiences happen that are just beyond the, the realm of comprehension. And all that did for me was it made me more open to the fact that, you know, maybe there are just some things that are unexplainable and that itself can be the answer. There will not always be a clear answer to things. And through time, uh, you know, I, I have had a shift in my worldview on that. I mean, for me personally, um, I've had experiences with what I believe are disembodied souls, you know, souls that have not passed on to either heaven or hell. Uh, I have had multiple interactions with demonic entities. I've dealt with, you know, places that were absolutely trying to scam me, whether it was, oh, there, I see that black mold in the ceiling. Maybe that's why people are going crazy. Or, oh, the floor is off level because of water damage. <laughs> so, of course, things are moving. I, I've had I've had the gambit of it. But it's it's that evolution. It's that journey that I think has been willing to open me up to more things. So I'm, I'm curious, before you actually started this book, where were you and where were you after you finished it? Did, did anything change? Did anything make you wonder? Did you switch your position on anything? Sure. A absolutely. That's a great question. So when I went into this, like I said, I'm a lifelong Christian. So you believe the things that you believe as a Christian, you believe what's in scripture, you kind of have a, a kind of an idea about it, you know, but what was so, there's so many things that changed. I think the first was my level of knowledge regarding how much is actually in the Bible about psychics and mediums. I mean, these are things I knew were there. Hey, you don't mess with those things. Um, but, but seeing the level to which from the old through the new Testament, this is talked about now to your point, yeah, obviously there's a lot of fraud out there and a lot of people who make things up, but it's interesting to see those things appear in scripture. Uh, I think on the ghost front, it was really interesting to interact with a lot of people in deliverance and exorcism ministry who actually don't believe that people would die and remain behind. Now, this is a point of debate, right? In in Christian circles. And it's something that people will debate about. I Are have like, just so you know, I have like no firm stance on it. 
Like it's so, just it's just one of those areas where I'm just kind of there and I'm like, okay, this is where I am. Where's the next step? Because uh, I I don't know if it's purgatory. I don't know if it's demons pretending to be people. Like I just don't know what it is. But what I can say is that there's something particularly human about those situations. Absolutely, that's what makes well, it confusing. Absolutely, and so I'll I'll address that in a second. I think you know I can go a million different directions with this. Let me just give you a clear answer. The thing that changed the most for we me, should, we should be drinking right now. But we we'll should continue. be. This should be like <laughs> wine o'clock right now. Um, but you know, the thing for me going into this, I'm I'm thinking I was scared to write the book, so I sat on the contract for two months because I, it, it actually came about in a weird way. The contract for the book, it wasn't something I. It was something I was interested in and I had pitched before, but this particular project came at a weird time and something strange happened when my agent called with the offer. And it was strange enough that it made me pause. And I, and I said, and I prayed for two months. I'm like, is this the right thing to do? Am I opening my family up to some, and I know this might sound silly to some people, but oh, well, I'm going to be honest. Am I opening my family up to something that is evil or crazy? Should I really do this? And my biggest mind shift on this was that by the end of the book, by the end of writing this, I had a ton of peace and it actually was remarkable when you look at evil to the extent that we see it being presented in the world around us and in scripture, it as a Christian, now this is me through my Christian lens, it actually points me back to my need for Jesus, like for my need for grace. When you see what that is, this is why we need Jesus. And that was so interesting to me because it was the exact opposite. I thought it wouldn't be peaceful. I thought it would be chaos. And it was really a peaceful experience. Um, so yeah, I would. that's what I would say was the main thing. And, and I mean, what, what you mentioned about finding that peace at the end, that that for me and that for the, the folks on my crew, um, that that's something that we all came to at some point. Like, I still feel like I'm in my journey of discovering a lot of these things, of exploring a lot of these unanswered questions. But for me, it never became real until I actually began to, to face this type of evil. And uh, I can't get into too much detail, but, you know, the one thing that we never show online, the one thing that we never really talk about are the, are the several home investigations we've done. And, uh, you know, one... One thing that we often ask people, and I think this is one reason why, uh, you know, when the conversation starts, it ends before the the investigation even begins, because what we want to understand is we want to understand a whole look at the people who are having these situations happen because Mm -hmm. we don't want to go in blind. So we, we have a, we have a survey that we ask for people to fill out. And I think out of like 10 people who will reach out to us to come do a home investigation, like nine of them won't even fill out the survey because (laughs) what we ask about is we ask about general medical history, not going into HIPAA violations or anything like that, but general medical history. Do you have a history of mental illness in your family? What medications are you on? Do you do drugs? Do you drink? Have you experimented with Ouija boards? Have you, do you have a history of self-harm? Is there anything about the house specifically we need to know? Are there any other people living with you? And when it comes to those questions, a lot of people, it's their right. They, they don't want to talk about it. And, uh, you know, after that, we just kind of leave them alone. But for the places that we have seen what we believe are demonic presences, um, those are people who usually fit a stereotype. And the stereotype is there's a lot of hurt. There's a lot of sadness, shame, there's a lot of struggle, and that is the thing that we have seen time and time again. These demonic entities are preying on people, and mm. ultimately, there's nothing that can get rid of them unless the people who are being victimized themselves, in in my opinion, accept Christ and accept right. the steps needed to actually free themselves of these demons, and uh, that that is a very real thing. That's why when I look at like the homeless or people that are living in like severe poverty in around the Beltway, I, I'm not I'm not saying I can tell who is being inflicted by forces outside of their control. But if if I want to find demonic activity, you can usually find those places pretty easily. Usually, it's just a numbers game. Yeah, it's so interesting. When I was writing Playing With Fire, one of the questions I was asking people who work in this realm, you know, who work in the deliverance ministry or exorcism, exorcists and all that, I was saying, okay, well, 
how do we know when something is mental illness versus spiritual? How do we, so I go into all these different topics, but it was interesting to hear them say, and this is pretty much universal, the most important person in a room when it comes to a deliverance or an exorcism is the person being delivered or exercised, right? That that person has to want what you just said. They have to want to believe. They have to want to believe in Christ and that that is the only way they're going to find that freedom. And it's also important to know, and this is, again, these are areas of debate, but it's it's intriguing to see that in these discussions, we tend to focus on possession, right? Which is the most extreme of these cases. You mentioned the majority of people don't even fill out the form. Well, most of the people you would talk to who are performing these deliverances would say, well, the majority of people are not possessed, the vast majority. It's a very small percentage of people who actually are, but that doesn't mean you're not experiencing spiritual affliction or oppression of some sort, right? You can actually have spiritual oppression happening, demonic forces coming in around you in affecting your life in different ways. It may not mean that it's inside of you controlling you. That's the most excessive and extreme version of this. And so there's really, you know, a gambit that this runs. Um, and, and that was interesting to me, but absolutely seeing that that person in that, that person who is being, who is seeking the help, that is the most important person. And one of the other things, and, and you would know this well dealing with locations, and I'd love to hear your view on this, but there's also a debate about whether or not demons are attached specifically to people or whether or not they can infest a location. So you have sort of the infestation versus possession debate. And I have a, one story in the book in particular that deals with infestation that I found really fascinating of this home where, as you were mentioning, you know, where, where there's sadness, where there's despair. Well, this was a particular location where there were a lot, there were a lot of things that happened in that home. There was an illegal abortion clinic, allegedly. There was um, a family was murdered um, in the 1800s and buried beneath the home. So you had all of this stuff that had happened in this home that many of these experts believed had culminated in events of demonic, you know, manifestations inside the home that did affect people over the years. Yeah. And to, to answer your question, whether demons kind of stick to people or whether they stick to locations, um, for me, I, I always go back to what Detective Paul Sarchi of the New York Police Department said in his book, Deliver Us From Evil. Uh, for, for those of you that have never read that book or seen that movie with Eric Bana, uh, I highly recommend reading the book because the movie is absolutely terrible. But um, you know, <laughs> I've um, seen the movie, but I have not read the book, so I'll have to do the, that. The, the, the movie, <laughs> it's like they just took the title and they took the general theme and then they just put The Exorcist and a whole bunch of other stuff in there. It's, it's crazy. And, and I mean, that's why... I, I, I'm not, I don't criticize the conjuring films too much. I consider myself like an amateur, uh, you know, Ed and Lorraine Warren scholar a bit, but like, you know, at least in the films, they, they recognize that the Warrens are very devout Catholics. And even though, you know, stuff might not be flying off the walls and stuff like that, like they do a good job of at least getting the overall message and the idea of what those investigations were like. But in terms of, um, you know, whether they stick to people or stick to places, what Paul Sarchi basically describes in Deliver Us From Evil is that uh, demons, you know, for, for him, he, he equates everything to his police experience. And for him, he describes them as just your, your basic predators. They, they are either going to go out and find people like, you know, a Ted Bundy, or they're going to be like, um, the, uh, the dude from devil in the white city. He was America's first serial killer. He, he built a, he built a hotel and he would lure people into certain rooms and then he would trap them and torture them and stuff like that. Uh, H.H. Holmes, that was it. So it's like there, there's not one type, but it just depends on the individual demon and how they want to hunt. Because ultimately, like, um, for, for example, there's this location on a, in, in, uh, outside of Philadelphia. Let me try and remember. Ryan, my, my, my brother and producers here. Ryan, wh where was the Princess Street location in season two? Yeah, so in, in East York, Pennsylvania, there's this uh, townhouse. It's a four-story townhouse, absolutely insane. If there was ever a place I wanted to be haunted, it was that because it was scary as shit. <laughs> and, um, you know, that was one of those locations where we're like, if there's going to be something here, it's going to be at this place. And I can tell you, and, and the episode's online, I don't believe that place was haunted at all. I believe some weird, unexplained shit was happening there, but I don't believe there was a demon. I don't believe there was a ghost. I think it was just an unkept, 
dilapidated location of lots of black mold and other cancer stuff in the air. So like when, when I look at places like that, you know, um, in, in other areas of the, of the town where there are probably some more realistic hauntings, there, there are places where, you know, you've got people who, who are on drugs, you've got people with criminal records, they're going to the same places over and over again. So if you're a demon that doesn't really want to go hunt people, all you have to do is stick to a location and the, and the prey is going to come to you. So that's, that, that's, that's how I've kind of always seen it. Yeah. And I think it's, um, yeah, to me, it's one of those things, again, <clears throat> I think these, I think these entities prey on people, regardless of what is going on. Obviously the goal, I mean, you look at, you look at the attributes of Satan. And again, you go back to scripture to do that. That's not going to square with people who don't see the Bible as their foundation. But I, I find it fascinating that many of these stories, not only the attributes, which I'll talk about in a moment, but the stories of Jesus healing people, the effects that these individuals are having based on their possessions really line up with a lot of what we see people experiencing today when they claim to have these things happen. Now, again, you have mental illness. You have to investigate whether or not somebody is experiencing a mental illness versus a spiritual illness. And there are plenty of examples of people who have never experienced a mental illness in their life. They go through this sort of, you know, possession experience and they come out of it after healing and never again have a mental health crisis. Now, people will come up with explanations for why they think that's the case case, but there are a lot of compelling stories out there. Having said that, I think we need to be very careful. And the first thing we should do, and I love that you guys do this when you're going to look, is to make sure that you're dealing with something that's credible. It, there are so many people out there trying to make stories up and pretend and conjure things up. Uh, but I have, I have personally seen things and experienced things that are completely unexplainable, particularly on the psychic front. I think it's fascinating when we talk about psychics and mediums, a lot of fake people out there again, making things up, but there are Dude, also I've met 12 reincarnated queen Victorias. <laughs> when it comes to that front, I am, I am, I am not a, I, I don't know where I stand on that because I, do I believe that type of stuff can happen? Absolutely. Anything right. really within their own right. possibility. I just haven't had the best track record. I actually agree with you. I think most of it is not, I think most of it is not true. I do, I do believe it can happen. And I have seen a couple, I've actually experienced something once that was incredibly bizarre and that the person sharing the details could never have known them in, in a million years, right? That I think we, we see it again. We see it in scripture for, for the Christian to go back and look, okay, we see, you know, Samuel, uh, summoning you know, the spirit or Saul summoning the spirit of, of Samuel, right? In the Old Testament, we see these attempts. We know that, you know, in the Old Testament, they were banning this sort of practice. The Bible never says it's not real. It says it, it can exist. It also doesn't tell us to believe Miss Cleo and every other person who claims they have the ability, right? So <laughs> I'm, I'm with you. We have to be so careful about all of this. It's interesting though, because for those who are like, well, how do I know who, who I should talk to and who I shouldn't? Well, if you're going to follow a Christian perspective, you shouldn't talk to any of them because we're told not to engage with it. And I got to, I got to mention this because one of the things I found so fascinating and looking at, through scripture first was the attributes of Satan. Okay. You know, he, he's here to kill, destroy, confuse a lot of the things that Satan is described as trying to do or, or actively doing are things we actually see happening in culture. And that's interesting to me. Now, that won't be compelling to some people, but I find it fascinating, and I sort of flesh oh, that they out. Already, they already tuned out at the beginning. Now it's they're just, done. Now yeah, it's just they're us done. girls here, you know. It's just the two of us without <laughs> wine, even though we should we should have wine. Um, but the other thing is in Acts. In the book of Acts, there's this really interesting moment that I had missed entirely where Paul is being chased around by this woman, and she's a slave, and she has... It tells us in scripture, she has the spirit um, to prophecy that she can basically not, not prophecy, but essentially she's a psychic, she's a medium and her owners are using her to make money. So they're selling this slave girl to make money. And that's how they're, that's how they're doing it. But she's following Paul around, driving him crazy. And he finally turns around and casts the demons out of her. Now, what's so interesting about that 
is that she loses the ability, the psychic ability that she had when he does that. And they were, it, it defines them as spirits that are able to tell the future. And that was, it was a little eye opening to me because I hadn't, I had always often wondered, well, if somebody has these abilities, and I know this, people, this will probably upset them, or I'm sure I'll have psychics emailing me, yelling at me, but where does this ability come from? If it's not, they something- didn't see this coming. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. But, but where does that ability come from? I mean, in that story is so fascinating to me because I just I had missed it for years. I never noticed that that and then of course the slave owners are mad because they can't sell this slave anymore to tell people's fortunes. So, you know, listen, that this is again, these elements are not going to be compelling to people who don't believe and even some Christians who are skeptical but I always go back to evidence. For me, evidence is an important thing. And in playing with fire, I don't tell I don't tell you what to think. I provide stories to people, and there's also parts of it that explain what the Bible says. So even if you're not a Christian, you would find it interesting because I think it's like you're trying to dive in to understand this perspective. And a lot of religions, by the way, this is not just a Christian thing. A lot of faith systems deal with the demonic. They deal with evil spirits. This is something that since the beginning of humanity has been part of our experience. And I was recently in a debate with Michael Shermer, who's the editor of Skeptic Magazine. And we had a really nice actually discussion and debate around this topic of whether or not this is true. And you know, I find it interesting when you've got four or five people who are saying, I saw or experienced this thing. And you've got people on the other side saying, okay, well, you're all crazy. You, you, it was delusion, right? You were just, you're delusional. You didn't see something that happened. Well, to me, that's something to look at. But beyond that, you know, when you've got a case, I want to, I want to circle back to that Indiana case and you've, and you've done investigations. So, you know, it's very rare that you would have numerous cops, including two sheriffs, that you would have a CPS worker, a child services worker, a hospital nurse, and others, many others, who would go on the record in official government documentation. Are, are we talking about the the Demon House? We are talking about the, the Demon Zach House. Baggins House. Okay, because I <laughs> kept thinking it's like, wait a second. Yeah, he's bringing up CPS, and I know something happened in Gary, Indiana. Yeah, this was this was a weird ass case. It's bizarre, and yes, it's the Ammons can, can, case. Can you give a can you give like a thirty second synopsis for folks that have no clue what the heck we're talking about? Absolutely. So yeah, I should have given a little more background. So basically, it was a mom, her mom, three kids. They started experiencing crazy things in this house that they rented, and in this home, it was basically selective possession. The mother would be possessed, and one of the kids would be possessed. We're talking people levitating. We're talking all sorts of bizarre behavior that really culminated in the children being taken out of the home because police got involved. And the assumption was that there was abuse going on. But as it turns out, there were plenty of people who saw some of these insane things happen. And I'm going to say this and don't, I don't want you to laugh, but you probably will. Cause I laugh every time I say it and you already know this probably, but one of the two of the workers involved in this case, a CPS worker and also a nurse claim that they watched one of the little boys walk up the side of the wall and do a somersault and land on his feet. And they filed this in official government documentation of the incident. Man, so that's you, know, a quick you, know, overview. you know, what happened to the, to the CPS worker who saw that she ended up moving out of the state and left her job. Yeah, yeah, like that just doesn't that just doesn't happen. And for these cops and for for a few of them who retired, I mean, here here's the thing I I do know about people and uh you know, I went to a military school, so hijinks ensued and stuff like that. We would do stupid stuff, but it's like if if people are going to try and get together on a lie, they're never going to have a consistent story. Like they might, you know, go off the general premise of the lie, but the lie is going to become undone. When it comes to stuff like this, and, and cops talk about this a lot, I've spoken to, uh, to a few police officers who have responded to cases where they believe, regardless as to whether or not they believe in you know, religion, hauntings, that type of stuff, where they believe some supernatural stuff was going down, that's like, if you're getting this many people who have the same consistent story and they're able to say this apart from each other, you, you've got something going on. I mean, they brought in the guy from, from the Entity case, uh, th this was one of the first mainstream cases of supernatural and paranormal activity in which a mother of uh, two, ch two children thought that she was being victimized every night by a dozen spirits. And um, I mean, the, the, the scientific research that went into that, it's in the book Entity. It's, uh, it's absolutely insane. But what bothers me about the Demon House, and this is, this is where like, you know, 
entertainment and reality <laughs> sometimes get a bit blurred. I don't know Zach Baggins. I don't. I know Jason Hawes from Ghost Hunters. I've been on his radio program a couple of times. I know a lot of people who have, you know, dealt with the TV networks and stuff like that. With Zach Baggins, whether you believe all the stuff on Ghost Adventures it's true or not or 50-50, his site was permanently damaged because of that. And it well, all yeah. goes back to that night and I think it was 2013-2014 when he stayed in that house alone. And it's like, unless he is pulling a P.T. Barnum on us and he's wearing those giant thick glasses just as an act, that's one of those things where it's like, man, if you want to show me some evidence, that's a good one right there. Yeah. And I think, you know, for me, when you've got people willing to put their reputations on the line, that's always compelling. And of course, it doesn't prove it, but it gives you this, and you know this, as a journalist, if I'm calling people and they're not willing to go on the record and they're and they're hesitant to share a story and they're not sure they want to actually tell me something. And those stories are all lining up. It's a little different when somebody is out there like waving a flag saying, come over here, media, come and watch me. It doesn't mean their story is not true, but I think, you know, we kind of sense that people want that 15 minutes. Sometimes you don't really get that in the Ammons case. Even if you take Zach Baggins out of it and you take him out because he came in later, right? He bought the house later on, did, did the demon house movie and all that. Yeah. It's like a couple of years after the family actually moved out. Exactly. When you go, and so in in Playing With Fire, I talked to the priest who handled the exorcisms. I talked to one of the sheriffs who was actually hesitant to talk, right? And he had he had spoken, but he wanted to make sure he was speaking to somebody who was going to handle this properly. These people are putting, yeah, and it may not be shocking for a priest to put their you know, reputation out on, on this, but for police officers and law enforcement to do that, it's because they experience something that they can't explain. And there are so many compelling details. You mentioned the CPS worker. Um, I did not talk to her. I actually did try to track her down. Again, people have a hesitancy. They don't, they don't really want to come forward on this. And not only did she leave her job, like you said, she moved out of the state. And I was told on the record by numerous people that the case deeply impacted her. So again, you can walk away and make your own determination on that. But that is one of the most fascinating cases because it, it is documented and you don't often get that. Well, I, well, I really commend you for, and, and even though you're, you're public about who you are, you're a conservative, you're a Christian, you know, in, in the, in the media sphere, like I was, I was always afraid when I was starting my, my show, the witching hour, I was always kind of nervous about that because I was also trying to get like, you know, actually paid to do reporting and stuff like that. And what I found was that because of the way I did it, because I went through, you know, the the journalistic process of how to do an investigation, how to find your sources, how to come to certain conclusions or not come to certain conclusions. I never got shit from other reporters. If anything, I had a lot of reporters that, you know, with the cameras off and everything wanted to go and do investigations with me. So it was always kind of fun. And I mean, I, I could, I could rattle off some names. I don't think they want me to out them, but some pretty, (laughs) some pretty prominent uh, conservative commentators and journalists have wanted to go get locked in like old prisons and stuff with me because whether they believe in that stuff or not, they're just curious. And I mean, you mentioned this at the top of the show, people are inherently curious about this type of stuff. But what I will say is my number one group in terms of criticism it comes from other very active Christians yeah. and some Catholics. And we, we touched on this a, a few moments ago, but this is one of those areas that really I think is, is a, is one of the most dangerous things to consider. And for these folks, it's that I, I know more than one person who would call themselves a Christian who does not believe in the existence of the devil. And for yeah. me, that's the root of a lot of bad shit. Well, and and there's a, a huge move, you know, the conversation about hell, does hell exist? Does it not? And then you move into Satan, does Satan ex- exist? Does he not? It's, again, I don't know how people walk away. Once you start to dismantle the Bible and sort of morph it into your own, you, know, you kind of you take it and put it through your own lenses, right? And say, okay, this is how, this is what it's saying. Now, listen, there's plenty of debate to be had in the Bible, but this topic that we're talking about today Outside of the minuscule little pieces, some people debate the nature of demons. Where do they come from? Are they Nephilim? Are they fallen angels? All of that aside, those are not major issues. The major issue is whether or not these things exist, whether or not Satan exists. And if you're going to say that you're a Christian, 
it's bizarre to me that you would read scripture and then walk away and say, this doesn't exist. It's as somebody who's professing to believe it. I don't, if you're an atheist, fine. You're saying you don't believe it, but, but that has always been remarkable to me. And I think it's the root of ignoring also where we are culturally and what is happening around us. And there are so many stories, okay, that, that I will turn on the news and watch. And you've had this happen too, I'm sure, where the amount of evil, I mean, my goodness, go to Netflix and look at almost any one of their, you know, <laughs> crime documentary series. Dude, I and, was in COVID quarantine. That's all I watched. That's all you did, right? <laughs> and, and But you can sense true, I mean, there are times that you're like, there is just something evil here. And you know that there is. And I think every human being inherently knows that. And to not ascribe that to what we see again in Ephesians 6, to me as a Christian, is a bizarre take on faith. I think you're truly missing a massive piece of the puzzle when you do that. Yeah. And I mean, speaking of Netflix documentaries, like I, what, what bothers me now, and we, we haven't had this happen, thank God for, for over a year and a half now, but like we, we have not had a school shooting in a long time because all the schools are shut down. But what always struck me was how quick people were to talk about mental illness and stuff. And it's like, you know, I, I do believe that a lot of these people that do commit crimes, especially heinous crimes like school shootings and stuff like that. Obviously, there's something wrong with them, but we can't just prescribe it to, oh, you know, it's it's stuff outside of their control. There is such a thing as evil. And I, I think that is one of those areas where it's like, well, you know, morality is subjective and all that stuff. It's like, no, some some acts are evil. And how do we know they're evil? It's because we look at it and we think that's wrong. That's that's evil. It pops up to our head. We we just know there's something about us where we just instinctively know that is an evil act. And with uh, you know, I, I watched that Night Stalker documentary about Richard Ramirez. I mean, that that guy, he he fits I'm not I'm not saying this as something conclusive. It's just of my my guess, my hypothesis. But you've got somebody who is uh, brutally victimized and tortured as a child by members of his family. He's a loner. He shows the signs of the types of behavior you would get from a serial killer. He's a bedwetter. He's a loner. He's disemboweling animals. He likes to play a fire, that type of stuff. And then around the time that he moves from, I think it was from New Mexico to California, he he gets caught up in Satanism. Now, you know, not, not to spend too much time on it, there are multiple schools of Satanism. There's the atheistic Satanism where they look at Lucifer as a, as a, you know, a symbolic figure. Then you've got like Aleister Crowley Luciferianism where it's like black magic and potions and shit like that. And I don't know where Ramirez was on that, but when I look at the situation, it's like one, I think you've got an evil individual here, but I think you've also got other forces driving him because for him to commit all those acts by himself and to bring his satanic belief with him into the crimes he committed, telling people, don't don't cry to God, cry to Satan, stuff like that. It's one of those situations where it's like, this is this is beyond what I think some evil right. people are even capable of. Well, and that's and where is this coming from, right? And that this is not to take away personal accountability, free will, personal responsibility, all. all those things. Right. But there is something about these cases. It's it's interesting to me that in the Columbine shooting, the shooters are going in and they're asking questions. And this has obviously been the subject of a lot of scrutiny. Some of my closest friends are survivors of Columbine. And so I know these details, you know, intimately, but they're going in and they're asking people, do you believe in God? Do you like, why is that question emerging in the midst of this event? You know, and again, I can't say definitively, but when you have these evil events and these moments that seem so out of the ordinary and so bizarre and so horrific, you have to wonder. And you know, I, I think back to that term confusion, you know, Satan wants to sow confusion and we really are a confused and distracted culture right now. I can't say that everything that's happening is from Satan. I'm not going to say that, but what I will say is that if a fee, I'm going to keep going back. If Ephesians six is true, then we've got to be on alert and understand that. And beyond that, here's the, here's the scary thing for me. As somebody who's a journalist, and I think when you read the book, if you pick up Playing With Fire, you'll find it fair. I provide other opportunities, like for instance, the Ouija board. I, I talk about the scientific explanations of the Ouija board. Um, I also talk about some of the bizarre bits of history <laughs> that come with the Ouija board. So I try to look at both sides of everything, but, but let's say somebody really is afflicted and they are sick and it's not just mental illness. Just, let's just say hypothetically, even for those who don't believe in this, if we are denying that this exists and we are not 
properly treating that person, then there's no chance of that person getting better, right? And so it's interesting to see so many psychologists and psychiatrists and others who are starting to speak out about this, who are starting to say, I mean, Richard Gallagher has a book out right now on this and he consults the Catholic Church, right? He's a psychiatrist based in New York where I am. Um, I actually met up with him a couple months ago and had a great conversation about some of this. But you know, there are people in the in the field of science. So it's not just something people can say, oh, it's not scientific. There are people who will say this is something that they have experienced or they're open to it because they're not understanding the dynamics that are in play in some of the patients they're seeing. So it's I think it's gonna be interesting to see where this goes in the next few years. And and just you know, one more note here. As society is moving more away from God, at least at least when it comes to nominal Christianity, and we're seeing these different openings and these gaping sort of holes in the midst of all of that, we're seeing more interest in this. We're seeing the Catholic Church and other faiths tell us they're seeing increases in people coming to them for help. And so it's not going to go away this topic. I think we're going to see more attention on it. Um, we, we've got a couple minutes left. I, I want to ask something about what you just mentioned. I... I, I am a, uh, you know, I, I don't want, I don't want to call myself like a, I, I, I call myself a Christian because when it comes to my denominations, I've, I've switched a few times in my life. I was baptized Catholic. I went to a Baptist private school. I fell out of my faith for about, uh, four years. Then I got into the United Methodist church that turned out to be, uh, you know, now it's like the divorced Methodist church, lots of weird <laughs> stuff. And now I find myself going more towards, uh, the, the Anglican Catholic perspective. So that, that is where I've been over the past uh, couple of years. And when it comes to this topic, you know, I've met I've met Baptist uh, pastors who have gone to Cuba and they've witnessed exorcisms. Uh, you know, I've I've met a lot of different types of Christians who have who who are basically on the same page as you and I. But what I will say is that I have not found more credibility and I have not found more division than those within the Catholic Church, and it's one of those strange things for me because it's like I find the people who who are most likely to believe in it the most in there and the people who are most likely not to want to have anything to do with that in there as well. If there is one singular Christian body you might think has the most credibility to discuss and take actions on this issue, who who is it? Because it seems like no one really wants to say it out loud. Well, I think none of them. And that's and that's why, and that's why I wrote the book though, too. You know, investigating this, looking at it, if this is something that is real, okay, and it's going on, why are all of the churches not talking about it? Now I, I will hand it to the Catholic Church here uh, that in 2019, the Vatican for the first time, they hold an annual conference of exorcists and they invited every other faith in every other denomination in um, for the first time. So it wasn't just Catholics who were there to actually share ideas and thoughts about exorcism because it's something that they know is a broader issue and that there isn't consensus on. And that was a really interesting move. And it got a lot of attention at the time. Um, I don't know if they've done it since. You know, I was writing the book at the time and I have no idea if they've done it since, but it was really interesting. And so I've actually talked to some people who were there who were not Catholic and you know, they, they described a really interesting event where they were sharing ideas and talking about what they've experienced. Now, so I'll give the Catholics credit on that. Now, they also, the Catholic Church is the only denomination that has a top-down way of dealing with this, right? So they have the right of exorcism, and it, it's mostly in Latin. There's an English version that emerged over the past couple of years, uh, but, but it's a very specific way of doing an exorcism, a very specific way of dealing with spiritual issues. Now, where the debate is, is that some will say, well, you don't need holy water. You don't need a cross. I've had people tell me, pastors tell me, look, I sat down with the person. I commanded the spirit out in Jesus's name and it ended. And there was never an issue again. I didn't need holy water. I didn't need crucifixes. So you're going to have these debates and these arguments. I think people need to get together and talk about it. Right. Um, and also I would point to, you know, the gospels, you see Jesus I think it was when the little boy was healed and there's two children who are possessed, which is terrifying and opens up other theological questions, but two kids are, are, are possessed. He heals them. When it comes to the little boy, he tells the disciples, well, that, that particular case needed prayer, right? Not all of them did. So it seems like there's an indication that there are different levels to which these exorcisms need to be performed. And so that's really interesting to me too. But, but yeah, I don't think anybody holds 
water when it comes to credibility. The Catholics just have a system, right? They have a system down. And that's why people, a lot of Christians who are not Catholic will turn to the Catholic church because they can't find a church who will help them, which is a major problem. That That's where I found myself. So it turns into like this strange relationship where it's like, you know, you say you're not Catholic, but you keep coming back to me for these questions. <laughs> yeah. And they don't, people don't know where to go. So, you know, I've actually had people reach out to me since writing the book who don't, they don't know where to go. And um, it has been interesting though, to find, there are people in the Protestant world who deal with this. And I talked to some of them um, in the book and you get a chance to kind of see that perspective and also mental health providers who deal with this, right? That's like a whole other topic, but, but there are counselors, again, psychologists and people who they actually bring deliverance into their medical practice. And some of them are hesitant to talk about it openly because they're worried about their license, right? Um, and and this just involves prayer for them. It's not any crazy, insane exorcism. It's something that the person willingly wants to enter into for healing. But yeah, this is, this is a complicated topic. And, I, and my view is we've got to be sharing information and trying to understand it better collectively. Absolutely. Well, Billy, I think we could go on and, and talk about this for just hours and hours. I've had an absolute blast getting to pick your brain on this. If uh, people want to pick up the book, follow you online and all, all your other misadventures, how could they do so? So playingwithfirebook.com is the website. You can get it on Amazon and everywhere else. And billyhollowell.com is, is my site where you can read my blog, see what I'm working on. Absolutely. Uh, folks, I'm going to go ahead and include everything in the show notes to make it easy for you too. Billy, thank you so much. Open door. I, you know, this is one of those topics where it's like, you know, people, people might not think it matters, but for those that, you know, want to keep a wider perspective of the world, I, I do genuinely believe these are some of the most important questions and topics we could discuss. A hundred percent. Thanks for having me. Not a problem. Well, folks, I hope you enjoyed this conversation. I hope you got something out of it. We're not growing as people unless we're trying to expand our worldview. And if there's one thing history teaches us, it's that we, we're, we're, we're going to always have these questions, so we might as well talk about them. And if you enjoyed this and other episodes of On the Run, please, it costs you nothing, but it means everything to me. A five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts helps us grow this message, expand our listenership, and get in those trending charts. For those of you that have, I am eternally grateful. As always, we'll be back later in the week. Be good. Stay safe. I'll talk to you later. Good night. You're listening to the We Are Libertarians podcast network. Find all of our shows at wearelibertarians.com. Like the Chris Spangle Show, Liberty Explained, The Brian Nichols Show, The Boss Hog of Liberty, Freedom Strips with Keaton Tucker, On the Run with Rimzo Martinez, Gingerarchy with Trisha Stewart Mann, Upward Libertarian Activism, and now hear this. Tune in now and we're going to help you sound smarter when talking with your friends. 